Welcome to Kishwaukee Bible Church. Again, we're picking up in our series, uh, Child is Born, in which we've been looking at the, the, the four women singled out in the genealogy of Jesus that opened the gospel according to Matthew. Four women who, by their mention in that genealogy, are meant to call to mind the stories of which they were a part, because their stories are part of the story of Jesus. Whether of Tamar, who we looked at last week, or Ruth, or of Bathsheba, who we're going to look at in the weeks ahead, or of a woman named Rahab, who we're looking at today. Four women, all of whom would have been written off as irrelevant, irredeemable, insignificant, unimportant, but who God saw fit to have written in to the very family tree of his beloved son. So turn with me, if you have your Bibles, to Joshua chapter 2, to the story of this woman named Rahab. It's towards the beginning of your Bibles, and again, we're going to spend our time today walking through this passage in Joshua chapter 2, but before we dive in, let's just one more time come to God in prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come to another chapter in that long story of redemption and and focus our attention on the events in which this woman named Rahab played such a central role, I, I pray that we would not only marvel at what you have done in history to bring about the eventual birth of Jesus, but marvel that you chose to do it through frail, flawed, faulty sinners like us who put their faith in your faithfulness to them. And I pray today that we would leave with great confidence, a great faith ourselves that it's not beyond you to do likewise again because you choose to do likewise still because of Jesus, in whose name I pray, amen. Well, as I mentioned, the women are going to be gathering together to talk in a week or so uh, at their next gathering about traditions especially those that that drive us deeper in our love for Jesus. And one of the traditions that did that for me as a a kid was, was one my family did every year on Christmas Eve. Every year we would we would go to the candlelight service at our church. We would, from there, return home to, to read the Christmas story. And after that, would turn on and, and fall asleep to the 1970 musical retelling of Charles Dickens' Christmas Carol, entitled simply, Scrooge. Now, if you haven't seen it, 
this is worth your time this Christmas season. It's on YouTube, the whole thing, multiple appearances. It was a film that was nominated for four Academy Awards. It won Albert Finney, who, who as a 34-year-old, played the, the title character. It won him a Golden Globe for his role. And, and it's arguably, I would argue, it's arguably the best adaptation that's ever hit the silver screen. Dickens originally said of Scrooge, the cold within him froze his old features made his eyes red and his thin lips blue, said it nipped his pointed nose, shriveled his cheeks, and stiffened his gait. And in my opinion, Finney captures that in a way that not many others have. Especially, I think, during that scene where his debtors are dancing in the streets, dancing, in fact, on top of his coffin, singing, singing, thank you very much, thank you very much, it's the nicest thing that anyone's ever done for me. And it made a profound impact on my life in driving me in my love deeper for Jesus. Like the Grinch or a Charlie Brown Christmas. Because each of these are stories of those who start out not so good, but end up in a much better place. Which is really what Christmas is all about. It's what Christmas is all about. Because Jesus is the reason, he's the only thing that can get us from where we start in a not-so-good place, not very good at all, not good at all, to a better, if not the best place of knowing, perhaps, for the very first time, if we're going to know it at all, the joy of Christmas. And yet, As much as it's part of the story of Jesus, what I want you to see today is it's also part of the stories that led up to Jesus. Because this is part of the story of this woman named Rahab. Turn with me again in your Bibles to to Joshua chapter 2. And what I want you to see today is that this is a story of a woman with a past who's being transformed in the present, which fundamentally alters her future. Again, the story of a woman with a past who's being transformed in the present, which fundamentally alters her future. First, that she is a woman with a past. And here, let me just catch you up on what's led up to Joshua chapter 2. Though God created the world right, our first four parents made it go all wrong. That's the way the story goes. Yet yet God graciously promised he, he would make it right again and would do that through one particular family line on the, of the very ones who messed it all up to begin with. 
that branch of that family line would grow into a promised people to whom God would give a promised land from which they would bring that promised blessing. As the story goes, God eventually rescued that promised people out of slavery in Egypt and led them through water and wilderness toward salvation in that promised land. And, And we pick up the story today with them encamped on its very edge in a place called Shittim, looking into the land that was promised them, separated from it only by the River Jordan. That those in that land had given themselves over to the worship of other gods, which meant their lives were marked by a particular penchant for violence, by a, a proclivity for sexual perversion, and perhaps worst of all, by the sacrifice of their very children to those very same gods. And now the one true God was about to take that land from them and give it to his promised people. That promised people had a new leader named Joshua who'd taken over for a man named Moses, many of whom you will know. And this is what we read in Joshua chapter 2, verse 1. And Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and, and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. It's a reconnaissance mission, a a military observation of a particular region in order to locate the enemy and ascertain the enemy's strengths, in order to understand the enemy's strategic features. An operation by by Joshua's central intelligence to, to scope out and obtain information on this most strategic city. Because everybody knew, as went Jericho, so went the land. So these spies are are sent in as Joshua's eyes and ears to this city that had stood at that point in some shape or form for for nearly 8,000 years. Most likely at this point built with a, a double wall between which were various chambers that during an attack could be filled in with rubble or debris to to further strengthen the city from the onslaught of its enemies, making the city at that point nearly impenetrable. But in times of peace, these chambers served other purposes, as was the case with the living quarters that belonged to this woman named Rahab. And at at this point, you've got to be wondering what two devout Jews who were supposed to be on the job are doing in the house of this woman named Rahab. As if they had gone James Bond or something. Because this is a woman with a past. This is a prostitute 
which in Hebrew means she was a prostitute. And that what Tamar pretended to be last week, it's the same word back there in in Genesis 38. This woman actually was making a living off unfaithfulness. And you got to wonder, I think you're meant to wonder, what are these two devout Jews doing in the house of a woman like Rahab? But as it turns out, it doesn't seem that they're there because this is a woman with a past, but because this is a woman who's being transformed in the present. That during their espionage endeavors, they had somehow identified along the way or been led to this woman who was sympathetic to their cause. And that what looks on the surface like maybe now the unfaithfulness of these spies is in fact much more about the faithfulness of Rahab. This is what we read in verse 2. It was told to the king of Jericho, Behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land, because apparently they're rubber nose and glasses that just didn't cut it. And then the, the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who entered your house, for they have come in, to search out all the land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them and, and, and said, True, the men came to me, but I did not know where they came from. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I do not know where they went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. The gates were about to shut. They just left. If you leave now, you'll probably catch them. But in fact, verse 6, she had brought them up to the roof and hid them with the stalks of flax that she had laid in order on the roof. So the men pursued after them on the way to the Jordan as far as the fords, and, and the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. I probably thought that they were just behind them. But the point is is that it doesn't seem like it was the unfaithfulness of the the spies that brought them there, but again, the, the faithfulness of Rahab. And that as bad as they were at their job, because even the king already knew they were there, as bad as they were at their job, God proves once again to be really good at his that he had gone before, he had brought them to a, a woman with a past, yes, but who God was in the process of transforming in the present. We read about some of her transformation in what follows. It says in verse 8, in her own words, before the men lay down, Rahab came up to them on the roof, said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. 
Because clearly Israel's reputation, the reputation of Israel's God had preceded them. For we, she says, have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you, nearly 40 years before. And what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and and Og, whom, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. What a confession that their God is the God. That their God is the only God. And that their God is the God of everything. This phrase that in the heavens above and the earth beneath is only used a couple times in the Bible. And it's always as an affirmation of God's exclusivity. As the one who deserves our exclusive worship, our exclusive attention, our exclusive devotion. It's most notably part of the Ten Commandments, of what some would call the First Commandment, that we're to make no idols of anything in the heavens above or on the earth beneath. Because God alone is the God, the only God, the God of everything. Which makes this statement being found on the lips of of a woman like Rahab, of this people who had done nothing but run after other gods, makes it even more profound. Yet here's a woman with a past who was being transformed in the present. And I just want to make sure that I'm being clear here. The emphasis here is that she's being transformed. Not that she's arrived, or is in this instance our standard for all things moral. Okay? Some... Try to to turn her into that. But she's not. And, And the question is usually related to her blatant deception of the king's men. And and whether we have biblical warrant for lying to our enemies on behalf of our allies. And this is a long and extended and complicated debate. And the question is admittedly complex. But it's worth noting that even amidst all the praise that Rahab receives, especially in the New Testament, that amidst all of that, it's never for her deception of her countrymen, but for her perception of God and her reception of God's people. Which means that her felt need to lie was perhaps actually just evidence that her faith in God still had room to grow. Now, I am torn on this issue 
myself. But I think it's probably worth remembering some of what we learned when we were walking through Jonah. That particularly when we come to a text like this, our great aim is to try to identify the author's main idea and intended response. That everything fits around that, drives in one direction. That's what good writing does, and certainly that's what the Bible does. What the author was saying and why he was saying it. Which means that that this may not be the text that helps us answer the question it raises. So when you go home today and you're sitting around the table and this comes up because it's probably going to come up. Or you go to home group tonight and this is the topic that gets put out there for discussion. I'd really encourage you that, that to look beyond just Joshua 2 when trying to answer this. Because this isn't really one of those ethical passages that's trying to teach us ethical things. That's not the central point. So try to answer the question it raises from somewhere else. And I'm not going to do that for you now. But I am going to say that the point for Rahab here is that here was a woman, again, with a past, but who was in the process of being transformed in the present. Which last of all, fundamentally altered her future. Rahab goes up to the roof, makes this profound theological statement based on a profound historical situation, affirming who God is because of what God's done. And yet her request at the end of that all is not about changing her present, but about altering her future. And not her future only but her family's future as well. She says in verse 12, Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. What a woman! Save my dad, whose house I'm under. Save all those under his care because of what I've done on your behalf. A perversely bold and aggressive woman now boldly and aggressively seeking preservation for her and for her family. Making a plea for kindness in the face of kindness. Again, because her faithfulness to God and faithfulness to God's people even overshadow whatever measure of faithlessness she still struggles with. And you can read how she lets them down then by a rope, sends them away by a different route, 
and they depart, and we're told that the, that the spies eventually make their way back across the Jordan. And here's where I want to pick up. I want you to look at the report that they give to Joshua at the very end of this chapter in verse 24. Listen to what they say. They say, truly, the Lord has given all the land into our hands, and also all the inhabitants of the land melt away because of us. If you then turn to Joshua chapter 6, you can read about how Jericho is finally conquered, but also about how Rahab, the prostitute, is finally saved. Her and her father's household and all who belonged to her. And how she lived when all others in Jericho died. And now, new joy. Because here was a woman with, with a past being transformed by God in her present, which fundamentally altered her future. Both for her life going forward And I believe we're meant to conclude for her life forevermore. That's the story of Rahab. But it's also a story of God's people. And here's what I mean. The report of the spies here should remind us of the report of 12 earlier spies that had been sent out some 40 years before. But of those 12 back then, if you know the story, only two had encouraged the people to take the land. 40 years later, now only two spies are sent because only two spies are needed because Israel should have trusted the two out of the 12 to begin with. One of whom was a younger Joshua. The report here should remind us of Joshua's report back then. But the story here should also remind us of the stories of when God's people had first arrived at this place called Shittim. After those 40 years of wandering in the wilderness were over. See, they had wandered in the wilderness and watched a generation who weren't willing to follow God in faith die. But even after wandering for 40 years, when we're told they, they came to this place called Shittim in Numbers 25, before Moses was dead or Joshua took his place, we're told that they did one thing. Numbers 25, 1. That while Israel lived in Shittim, the people began to whore or prostitute themselves with the daughters of Moab who invited them to serve other gods and bow down to other gods and do everything others did 
for other gods. Yet when they enter the land, who should they find? But a woman who used to be a prostitute herself, but was no more. Who had turned from faithless to faithful because she had heard of the faithfulness of God. Which in some ways had to be an indictment against those who who lived under God's faithfulness all along. That while they were out prostituting themselves, God was taking a prostitute and turning her to himself. But must also have been a great reason for joy. Because God's faithfulness sooner or later has the power of taking those with a past and transforming them in the present and fundamentally altering their future. Which means as much as this is the story of Rahab, it is the story of God's people. And it's for us nearly 3,500 years later the story of Christmas and how the faithfulness of God was displayed most fully not just in the transformation and preservation of this woman named Rahab but ultimately in the sending of someone better not the child that would be born to Rahab, that would eventually find her in the lineage, that family line, but the the child born to a girl named Mary. Because eventually God would do what only God could do. And make it possible for you and I, the, the, the Ebenezer Scrooges of our world, who start out not so good, not, not good at all, with no good whatsoever, to end up in a much better place, who now know joy. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, joy is something that too easily slips through our fingers, that we too easily lose sight of, that we all together have a hard time holding on to, and yet that you've provided in Jesus. I pray even this season that we wouldn't be wrapped up in our pursuit of other gods, of serving other gods, of looking for other gods. But would focus our attention wholly on you and the work that you did in the sending of your son on our behalf to give us what only you could give 
and what we need so much. I pray we would know joy like never before. In the name of Jesus, amen. Thank you for joining us. For more information about our church, please visit our church's website at kishbible.org. That's K-I-S-H-Bible dot O-R.